I'm a halfway house. I'm not the stiff black suit. I'm just a tie and jacket. <laughs> Let's pray together. Great God, open the floodgates of heaven. Demonstrate that you are rich in mercy. Provide for Rob and Tindy and their family, for the Bible school and the singles meeting. Uh, transform the church through your word and as they plant a new church, may it be in your strength and power. Refresh them, Lord, before they return. Keep them safe and well. And may they find that all their needs are provided. For you are the God of abundance and of love. And into your hands we commit them. Amen. Here's a joke for you. A man was breaking rocks in hell. And the flies and mosquitoes and 100 degree temperature with high humidity made no impression. He was humming away to himself. And the devil said, what's so pleasant about your circumstances? And he said, I live in Missouri, so this is standard. <laughs> So the devil sent howling winds and lashing rain and a tornado that uprooted trees and followed it with hail. And the man kept on humming and rocking, breaking away. And the devil said, now, now what's your story? So it feels like home. <laughs> so the devil had one last torment up his sleeve. He sent a blizzard that froze the landscape from horizon to horizon and a hoar frost that went four feet into the ground. And the man got up and started dancing and clapping and singing. And the devil said, now, now what? He said, the blues must have won the Stanley Cup. <laughs> now, remember that because that's the essence of the sermon, not the blues winning the Stanley Cup. <laughs> The essence of the sermon is that the man had a different context and didn't notice all the torment that was being heaped upon him. And uh, when we consider the Apostle Paul and the point uh, of his life throughout the book of Acts, which we've uh, been looking at for the last, um, I don't know how many months, we come to realize that we've got a different context to our lives, uh, not Missouri, but heaven. And it enables us to reframe our lives and see them from a very different angle. So when we think of the Apostle Paul, we might think of this picture as a metaphor of his life. What's easy to miss in this picture is that there's a longboat in the waves. And you can tell from the height of the wave behind the crest that that boat is likely to get smashed into smithereens. And uh, Mount Fuji right in the background there gives the height of the wave in a, a, a rather marvelous perspective, does it not? Now our scripture this morning is actually Acts chapter 27. But when I looked at it, I realized that it's part of Paul's last journey and it starts in Acts 21 and goes right through to the end of Acts, which is chapter 28. 
And I want to recommend to you that you take the time to read that. It's uh, it just thrilled me. I, I've read it probably four or five, maybe six times in the last few months getting ready for this and read it in different translations. And uh, the humor of Paul comes through and the composure of Paul and the fact that he's such a great leader that he takes charge of a shipwreck and uh, the, the whole story just impresses you immensely. So here's just a quick survey of those chapters. I'm going to do this very quickly. He went to Jerusalem with a collection for the poor. Uh, while he was there, he was in the temple on one occasion just doing a private act of purification, and somebody from Ephesus recognized him and started screaming and shouting and saying, he's a traitor, he's deriding the law of Moses, he's desecrating the temple. The whole temple population got riled up and started shouting. The city heard it, and it says the whole city came out. They dragged Paul outside the temple, began to beat him and kick him and stone him in order to kill him. Uh, but the Romans heard of the riot and they dashed into the middle and rescued him and handcuffed him and asked what's going on and all these hubbub of voices accusing and um, they dragged him off and the centurion was fed up with all this business and decided to torture the truth out of him. He was actually lashed to a post and there was a soldier getting ready to whip him. Uh, flogging by a Roman is... Life-threatening. They weave bits of bone and rock into the nine cattails of the lash and then give you 39 strokes. Men faint, uh, people die, and the Apostle Paul says to the Roman, is this legal? I'm a Roman citizen. And so they halt the proceedings, <coughs> excuse me, release him, take him back to the temple where... He's again brought before the council. Another riot ensues. The Romans rescue him a second time. And uh, this time they decide to transport him to Caesarea. And they do it at night with 200 soldiers and 70 cavalry men and uh, 70 spearmen. That's sort of the danger of the situation. They take him to Caesarea. He spends two years there being kicked from pillar to post. Governor Felix is interested in the story. He hands over to Governor Festus. King Agrippa comes in. You'll read it all. It's just absolutely fascinating. Two years later, King Agrippa actually finds him innocent and says, you know, we could release him, but he's appealed to Caesar, so we're going to send him to Rome to be tried in the courts of Rome, which was his right as a Roman citizen. And you sort of read between the lines that they... Uh, know he's innocent, but they want to get rid of him, or maybe they want to spare his life because he's going to get killed if they release him, but they want to get rid of this nuisance, so they can't just sail. It's the end of the sailing season. Winter in the Mediterranean is uh, usually all ships tied up in those days. It's in the story. So they go along the coast and uh, all along here, and then here is where the winter season is going to kick in and they look for a safe, ha a safe harbor at Fairhavens. 
And the captain, instead of going in, decides there's a safer harbor around the corner and so takes off for the safer one and a a storm comes in and drives them for 10 days. Uh, Luke, the author, says it was as black as night for 10 days with a howling wind and pounding waves. They had no idea where they were driven. Eventually shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Uh, spent three months there and then transported up to Rome. Now, you wouldn't really call that a pleasant vacation. Two years in Rome, and then we're not sure what happened to Paul, whether he was actually martyred there. Some people think he went to Spain, uh, but whatever, that's where our story ends. And so that cresting wave is actually a superb metaphor for the life of Paul in that journey. There's no doubt that through that all, Paul remained composed. He was contented. It comes through in the story in a really interesting way, full of humor. And uh, he says, uh, out of that, he wrote the book of Philippians. So in Rome, in jail, he wrote to the Philippians. And in the Philippian book, he says, I have learned to be content. In other words, he was not always content. Uh, Quite possibly when this whole journey started in Acts 21, he was maybe complaining and full of grumbling and muttering under his breath, why me and why should this happen? But he says to the Philippians in Rome, in prison, I have learned to be content. Now, you've got your own cresting waves, and I know when I'm in one of mine, I tend to feel like this, uh, rattled and fearful. I tend to feel insecure and anxious. I get very fidgety, can't sit still, tense and antsy, agitated, full of regrets. Why did I get into this situation? How do I get out of it? Disappointed, irresolute, and afraid. You can probably add antonyms by the the dozen to that, but you know the picture well because you felt it in your own gut, haven't you? This is what the Apostle Paul manifests in Acts in the book of Philippians. He's peaceful. He's serene and secure. He's unperturbed and calm, confident. He's lacking nothing. He says so in Philippians. He's wanting nothing. He says in Philippians. He's fulfilled He's relaxed, he's purposeful, he takes charge of the shipwreck and actually saves everybody's lives. He's gracious. Uh, So that contented composure is the very opposite of this antsy, cresting wave. I don't know where you are this morning, but we generally live between the two places, don't we? Some days we're more or less contented, some days we... Uh, more or less agitated. But I want to ask you where your heart is. Where would you like to be all the time? And I've got no doubt that every single one of us would want to be on the side of contented composure. And there's no doubt that that is why the Apostle Paul was so convincing in his preaching and in his testimony. And he says in Philippians, I have learned to be content. So out of the furnace of his affliction, that we've seen, it's a five-year affliction at this stage, 
where his life's been threatened, he's been beaten up, he's been in prison, he's been kicked from pillar to post. Uh, in a 10-day storm of proportions we can't imagine, uh, brutalized in prison, no doubt, he says, I have learned to be content. So we're going to go to the book of Philippians, and I suggest you read the book of Philippians. I've taken four clues that resonate with me in terms of my own contentment when I've had it. It's come out of these four principles. And then the book of Philippians came alive to me because all sorts of things popped up and said, of course, this ties in with it. Naturally, look there, that's, that's expounding this. Uh, and so we want to change the context of our lives and we want them to have new boundaries, which was in fact uh, what was happening in our call to worship this morning. Um, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And then the Lord responds with a voice that sounds like a tornado. And it ends in uh, verse 10. The Lord is enthroned above the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. This picture is taken from a part of the universe uh, by the Hubble Space Telescope. It is the Eagle Nebula. It's about 7,000 light years away. Uh, and if you wanted to think about the majesty of God, that would be like a thin, thin slice of his majesty because the rest of the heavens declare his glory in exactly the same way. Now that... The glory of God is the context of Paul's life. So if you want to shrink the cresting wave and live through the cresting wave with contentment, you've got to find out how to reposition your life within the context of God's glory. And when you're doing that, then you discover, wow, I'm contented. This cresting wave well, it's really nothing. Just look at who God is. And here are the four things then that have enabled me to push the boundaries out and enlarge the context of my life and so shrink the cresting wave. The gospel then invites us to do this. And this first one says uh, from Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now that immediately puts a different context to the cresting wave, does it not? This is, in fact, a very dramatic expansion and later on in Philippians chapter 1, in fact, just after this, starting in verse 12, the apostle explains that. He says, I'm being confident of this, that he who began this good work is completing it. And then verse 12, I want to report to you, my friends, that my imprisonment here has had the opposite effect to that which was intended. You see, they wanted to muzzle me. And now he says, instead of being squelched, the message has actually prospered. All the soldiers here and everyone else, they found out that I'm in jail because of this Messiah. That 
piqued their interest and they all came by to say, what's this all about? And now they've learned all about him. Not only that, but most of the followers of Jesus here have become far more sure of themselves in the faith, speaking out fearlessly about God and about the Messiah. And so when you're confident in God, there's this opposite thing that happens. The devil trying to squelch you, people trying to shut you up, but your calm composure opens the door to talk about the wonders of Jesus we can think of it in this way because the verb that is used about being, uh, not being confident but the one about finishing the work, having completed the work, is a very strong verb in the original language. Uh, think of it in terms maybe of an engineer computing the stresses of the structure he's about to build so that it can withstand all the forces that will be arrayed against it. It's a word which speaks of an architect who is designing a building of great utility and beauty. It's the word that a landscape architect might use when he's planning a garden of beautiful and majestic and astonishing beauty. But then the word goes one step further. And it's really that the engineer gets up from his drawings... And the architect gets up from his drafting board and the landscape architect stops sketching and puts on a hard hat and rolls up his sleeves and puts on his grubbies and takes a shovel and begins to work the project. And here says the apostle, I'm confident that he's going to work the project until the day of Jesus Christ. So you see, your life when you know Jesus is not insignificant. It's a work in progress, and God is doing it. So the second thing, of course, is that you now say, well, if uh, God is doing it, then okay, I can get in a hammock and stargaze. <laughs> no, but you see, it's my building that he's building. I am to be the garden that he's laying out. I am to be the bridge that will withstand the forces arrayed against me and they are not insignificant. So now, what about my role? Should I be afraid that I'm going to run out of resources, that my energy will fail? Well, no, says the Apostle Paul in chapter 1 and verse 19, I know that through God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus. He says later on in chapter 3, verse 3, we who serve God by his spirit. And so God takes care of that. And you will have the joy of working alongside of him in the project that he is bringing to completion. And it will be that you will be able to say, it's my project, but well, wait a minute, it's his project. When I was about 10 years old, my father built a, a pigeon coat for us to keep pigeons as a hobby, homing pigeons. And uh, I recall that he drew me into the project. What can a 10-year-old do? Well, it can do a lot, actually, but I sort of scrabbled in the dirt, maybe nailed a few nails, misnailed a few places, and he fixed up all my mistakes, and we had a pigeon coat and introduced the homing pigeons. 
And I felt so proud of that. Look at my project. Except it wasn't mine. Yes, but it was mine. You know the confusion right there. And that's the same sort of thing that happens here, is God is doing this work and but I'm also drawn into the joy and the pleasure and the fulfillment of it. But at the end, I'll say, it was God's work, but I also had a significant part in it. And so the Apostle Paul says, it is God who wills for you to do and to will of his good pleasure. God who fills you with the willingness and wantingness to do his good pleasure. And that brings us to the third way that we push out these boundaries. Now, this one you're going to have to lie on your left ear. Go on, <laughs> lie down and you can read it. <laughs> Go on, you can laugh, man. <laughs> In this one, the Apostle Paul is addressing the attitude that flows out of these things. He says, you're confident You've got the provision of the Spirit. And now in those verses, he says over and over again, he says, have the same attitude of mind that Jesus had. He says, do everything without complaining. Go through the cresting wave without complaining. In chapter 4, verse 6, in every situation, give thanks. And over and over, he says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice always. Again, I say it unto you. Rejoice. Now, you're not rejoicing in the cresting wave. You're rejoicing in the confidence that God is going to complete the work. You're rejoicing in God's provision of the Spirit. You see, the trick is you've shifted your focus from the cresting wave. So he's not asking you to say, thank you, God, that I've got cancer. He's asking you to say there's something bigger and in that I celebrate and rejoice and have this attitude which is not complaining and always giving thanks. And that'll bring us to the fourth one. He says, not just have the right attitude, but think on these things. That comes about in chapter 4. Chapter 4 where he says, I've learned to be content just earlier in the chapter. He says, think on these things, whatever is pure and lovely and of good report, whatever is beautiful and wonderful, think on these things. And I think part of the these things are that you're confident, you are confident in Jesus. Part of these things is that God has given his spirit with his energy. These things change your attitude, and so you think about that. In a sense, be like a child with a, with a chocolate in its mouth that rolls it around to extract the full flavor and enjoy it with smacking lips. So he says, think on these things. Extract the whole flavor and enjoyment of this priceless thing that the context of your life is the glory and the majesty of God. Think on these things when you're at peace and when you're sailing on a glassy ocean, think of the greater context. Most of all, when you are in the storm and the cresting wave is about to crash, think on these things. Meditate on them. In quiet times, in turbulent 
different times in the cresting wave, change the context, expand the real dimension by focusing on these things. I thought it was sort of like a cameraman who knows his business and he's got a picture of a person in focus and then he changes the setting and the person becomes blurred and the background comes into sharp and vivid relief. That's what's happening here. So here are the conclusions. My friends, make plans according to the glory. Make plans for the glory of God. Your life is more than the humdrum, having to earn money, take children to school, and uh, all the other trivial stuff. All essential, important, offered to God in worship, but make plans for something grand about God's kingdom. And don't let it be circumscribed by the cresting wave, by the current circumstances. Think big, 7,000 light years big. What could you do if you gave yourself to God without reserve and expanded your horizons in this way? We've got so many examples of it in our church. We have a Karen Lovell who has driven the Stephen ministry until it's a spectacular part of the caring of our church. We've got Sunday school teachers who give themselves to a little child and who knows what changes they are bringing about in their lives. And so you can go and find many, many ways and places and say, God, I want to make a difference somewhere in my life for your kingdom. Plan big. Why not take your family on a missions trip? You might meet your wife there. <laughs> I mean, they might meet their wives there. <laughs> um, why don't you, gee, I, my mind is just full of suggestions. You, you can adopt a missionary. Here's one here this morning and say, I'm going to take an interest in the Rulo family. I'm going to find out about Hungary. I'm going to know what's going. I'm going to promote them in my small group. I'm going to become part of God's great kingdom. Who are the other missionaries connected with our church? I wonder if you know. I'm going to find out. I'm going to champion them. Maybe I can even go and visit them to encourage I can send them notes. I can pray. Secondly, expect the unexpected. This is the king of glory doing his work. Paul, no doubt, thought he might get to Rome via the land route, sort of stopping off to visit friends and enjoying fellowship and having the plenty of the land brought to his plate. And instead he goes in shackles, transported like a prisoner. But he gets there according to God's plan. So expect the unexpected and don't be dismayed by it. And thirdly, hold everything loosely. Hold your plans loosely. They may be different to what God's plan may be different to what you're holding. So hold it loosely, but still expect the big thing. Hold your possessions loosely. They're not yours. They should be snatched away by some circumstance of banking stupidity or earthquake or 
tornado. I'm holding it loosely and I'm heartbroken and sad, but you know what? It was God's anyway. Most of all, hold your own life loosely. You don't have to protect it to the nth degree. You can offer it freely because the Lord is at work. You can be confident that it won't ever die. You won't ever die just in a meaningless sort of a death. There you go. Now somebody's got their arms folded and they're sitting back in their critic's chair and they're saying, well, that's the Apostle Paul. He had, he had a special provision as an apostle. My brother, my sister, you've broken the first rule, which is confidence in God, not in Paul. You've broken the second rule, which is the provision of the Spirit is there for you. And boy, have you ever broken the third one. Your attitude is all wrong. Think on these things. And the Apostle Paul knew that because you see, chapter 4, verse 13, where he says, I have learned to be content. I know what it is to have plenty and to be without. He ends that little paragraph with these words. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, you can. You can do all things. You can live a contented life. Let's pray together. I'm going to allow you to reflect on that, think on these things, and then uh, Chip is going to lead us in a reflection, and the worship team will close our time in worship. Think on these things. In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise Give me Jesus Give me Jesus Give me
Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me
Well, John Newton would be surprised at that. <laughs> uh, if you need prayer, there'll be someone to pray with you. I'll be there to greet you. Remember, um, to sign up for 2028 next Sunday. Plan to come early for the congregational information meeting. And uh, I wonder if you just sit for a second. <clears throat> Are there any veterans among us? I'd love the veterans to stand so that we can show our appreciation. And if you have someone uh, serving at the moment in the armed forces, would you stand, please? Is there anyone? Uh, we are truly blessed and grateful as a nation for our liberty. Our benediction is one that we're going to all participate in. You're going to speak the words of peace to each other, so let's stand again. <clears throat> These are the final words of Psalm 29, the cresting wave, remember? So here is how it ends when we ascribe glory to him. Uh, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord gives strength to his people. And so go in peace. Amen.